Did you miss out on the Game Toppers Kickstarter earlier this year? Have no fear because you can go late pledge now. Go check out all the different products they offer and turn any table into a game table. To find out more, head over to GameToppersLLC.com. Hey y'all, it's time to assemble. Get your suits, webs, and vibranium ready. Because on this episode of RDTN, the guys review the new Marvel Champions card game. Plus, the card game Sorcerer and Eternal Chronicles of the Throne. Let's also throw in a five-minute initiative for PAX Premier. Is that all you got, Marty? I can do this all day. Gosh, this hammer's heavy. Thank you, Vanessa, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of Rolling Dice and Taking Names. This is episode 181. Hello. My name is Marty. And I'm Tony. Before we got on the air, we were talking about what are we going to call this episode. Tony and I said we we have to use a Cars or Eddie Money song because over the weekend, the lead singer, Rick Ocasek, passed away for the Cars and uh, Eddie Money passed away. So growing up, they were on the radio all the time, probably for you, probably for, and for me. I mean, I grew up with car songs. They had three amazing albums. And even to this day, you still hear their and Eddie Money songs played constantly. One of the things I remember mostly from the cars is some of their MTV videos. They had some of the more elaborate ones that started to come out and started set trends. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, hello again. You had people that had alphabet soup in their mouth and they stick out their tongues. I wasn't expecting that. Uh, or the uh, the magic video where uh, Rick Ocasek's walking on water in the pool. Mm-hmm. And, and you, all those weird dressed people are around, you know, I guess witnessing him doing that. Or then, um, oh, the one that we were just listening to that um, where the lady is in the tub and, and he's got all this weird transadelic lighted stuff going on in the video. It was just some of the best videos and some of the best earworms. Heartbeat City was an album that came out in 84. And that was like right during our like main high school years. And so it was mm -hmm. constantly played on, on all the radios. And you're right. Uh, MTV was just starting to hit the scene and they kind of set the trend for, for some amazing videos. Yeah. And let's not forget about shaken by Eddie money. That's probably the one song I remember most from him, but he had, he had a whole bunch. Two tickets to paradise is the one I really remember from him. Uh, see, see that one. I, I missed that when I was scanning, when I was looking for songs to name this title. Now, you know, hello, hello again. How does this tie in? We normally try to make it tie into board games, but for me, I think even with honoring Rick, we are also saying hello to Marvel again, because we got another Marvel card game. Hello again to living card games. We're going to be talking about Marvel champions, aren't we, Marty? <laughs> that, of everything, that that was your tie-in. Hello, tie Hello again to Marvel. All right, we're going to go with it. Uh, yes, we are. Uh, Marvel Champions is a brand new LCG that's going to be coming out. We got an early copy and we're going to dedicate a big segment of this show to that card game because 
Tony and I love our card games, and we're going to dive deep into this bad boy. Give our thoughts on it. Is it something that we like? Is it something we think you might like? Give some pros and cons. Uh, so, hello again, Marvel, I guess. Hello again, living card games. Hello again, living card games. Okay, okay, I'll give you that. I'll give you that, because you kind of skipped the whole Arkham Horror. You tried it out in the beginning, but it's not one of those, those games you really played. I have. I've played ever since it came out. So we'll see. Hey, is Marvel Champions one of those that will bring you back in? It may or may not, but I can't wait to hear your thoughts later on. And I must say, hello, Plainfield, Indianapolis. I'm in a hotel room again. <laughs> oh, jeez. For the second episode in a row, Tony is not in his studio in Charlotte. He's out on the road somewhere in Indianapolis, where it's probably a lot more calm now than it typically is when you're there in August for Gen Con. Oh, you would think so, but getting a flight was difficult because I don't know how many people are coming to the convention that's going on now, not the 70,000 at Gen Con maybe, but my plane was full of Walmart managers. This is Walmart's yearly convention. <laughs> and it said the convention center? Yes, in Indianapolis. Now I'm out in Plainfield, which is to the west of the airport. So I'm not downtown. Okay. So, but yes, the whole plane. I got to hear all these Walmart stories from all these Walmart managers <laughs> on the plane. Well, well, you know, all the famous social media pictures of like, I saw this in Walmart sort of deal. Can you imagine the types of stories that the managers would have of the stuff they've seen in their stores? Oh yeah. The breakout sessions, you know, or post the top one that gets the grand prize during the convention. <laughs> yeah. Uh, bring, bring the best thing war at your Walmart store and, and share it. We'll see who wins the prize. And you know, probably once those guys get a few drinks at them at, at night, the stories really start to flow. Yeah. The young lady I was sitting um, beside, she actually manages a store in our area and she was telling me, and she didn't talk to me on the flight because well, one, my switch was out and I was trying to get ice delivered to a um, Gurdu, Gurdu town, which you probably haven't been to yet, right? A Gurdu town. G-E-R-U-D-O. No, but she wasn't talking to me while I was trying to do that. But then, you know, when we were landing, because I put it away, because I didn't want the switch to go flying in case of major air turbulence or anything. She was telling me that she's having a very hard time to find workers at the Walmart. So I was like, okay, so we got talking about that. Okay. And I was like, oh, it's very interesting. You know, you you don't think about that in the retail space, that it's, it's hard to bring people in to work for you at times, especially in some of these remote locations of Walmart. And another gentleman pointed out that there are there is a Walmart in all 50 states. I can believe that. But also, unemployment's really low right now. So yeah. uh, for, for jobs like that, it's probably like one of those like last-ditch jobs that you may get – I don't know how much Walmart pays. I don't know any anymore, but it's just one of those things. Probably a lot of people have, and a lot of uh, companies are probably having find hard time filling in jobs because because the unemployment's so low, which is good. Mm -hmm. But I bet you there's a lot of turnover. Okay, this is really boring. So uh, let's move on from that. Well, okay. So here's how I was going to tie this back in. Okay. So I am so thankful for having labels on my sheets now that say, tell me if it's a top or bottom on fitted sheets versus the side. So I don't have, cause every time, I don't know about you. Every time I make the bed, I 
will always put the fitted sheet on wrong and then I have to spin it and then I overspin it and I have to do it again and do it. Again. Now they've, they've sewn in labels. I don't know. Do your sheets have the little labels that say top and bottom? They do not. And, and now I'm jealous because I wish they did because, uh, yes, uh, when you're sitting there looking at a king size bed and it looks somewhat square, and it's like, just throw it on there. I'm sure it'll be right. And then all of a sudden you got this flap hanging off on the side. It's like, nope, that wasn't right. Rotate. Pivot. Pivot. But what threw me off is when you opened up the box from Fantasy Flight Games, Marvel Champions, it had the labels top and bottom. Do you remember that? I know. I did not notice it. And when you pointed it out, then I just, I couldn't stop thinking about it. It's like. Why did this need to be done? Because I'm thinking, is the box not square? It's not. It's rectangle. I have it right here. It is here. rectangle. Oh, it's rectangle. Okay. I did not realize that it was rectangle. You know, maybe they wanted it from the insert standpoint. It's near the insert. As Marty digs through it, he should be able to see the insert. Okay. So just make sure I have my story straight. It's only the bottom. The bottom has yeah. an arrow pointing up. <laughs> it says box bottom. I guess it's to remind you, this part right here is the bottom of the box, and it should be pointing up. <laughs> I'm like... No, there's there's another one. There's another one that says top. I know it does. You're right. Okay, the bottom half of the box that you put the stuff in, along one short edge, it says box bottom, and the other, it says box top. I'm super confused, dude. Is it because if you make it a bookshelf stand that they want that top to show up, or do they want the insert to go in if you take the insert out? Or is it something for when someone manufactures the box? This is kind of like, how many licks does it take to get to the center of a Tootsie Pop? The world will never know. This is saying how to orient the box. So I guess when you stand it up in your bookshelf, which part should be the top? And and But looking at it, Tony, I'm showing it to you on camera. Why would this part be the... This is great radio, by the way. Why would this part be on the bottom and that part of the insert be on the top? And I have a better question for you, Marty. Put the top back on the box. Go ahead and put it on the top. Well, put the I box put back it, together. I could put it either way. I could put it on backwards and then I wouldn't know. That's right. You don't know which is the top or the bottom because you've put the lid on it. <laughs> so you don't know. You can't see because you just covered up what says top or bottom. I, I've got no idea. So we fancy flight inserts in the flying wing. Now we've gone to this. Holy cow. Oh, and, and there's still a proof of purchase that even after decades, we don't know what the proof of purchase does. And now they're labeling boxes for reasons that we don't know and creating inserts with little ridges that where the cards go that we can't figure out what the ridges are for, except for maybe card dividers, but there's no card dividers included. We have so many questions, Tony, just on the box itself. And now I'm not going to be able to sleep at night. I'm going to have to talk to somebody from Fantasy Flight about this. Oh, uh, like they'll talk to us after this. May maybe it's... <laughs> listen, listen, guys, just put that uh, box back in uh, uh, shipping and give it back to us because you do not deserve to talk about this tonight. You opened that box up and I saw that. I was like, okay, maybe... I, I had no answer. But anyway, <laughs> so you asked me how I was going to tie sheets into this. Well, there you go. That's how I was able to. Now, would you stop looking at the box? But I'm, I, I can't stop. I can't. I can't. My my engineering logical mind is going all over the place trying to figure out why is that part considered the top and that part's. If anything, I thought it would be the reverse 
so that the cards are towards the bottom of the box, but right now the cards will be towards the top. There's a slot for putting the cards and there's a slot for holding like tokens. And you would think the tokens would be at the top of the box, but they want them in the compartment. Okay, I'm done for the night. Uh, I'm not going to be able to think straight anymore. So <laughs> thank you for that. I, I appreciate it. Okay, I'm going to put it away. I'm putting it away. It's gone. All right. Now, when this thing comes out in quarter four, everybody's going to be looking at this because because you're right. No one else can see the subtlety of this that we've just talked about. But now, so they now get to wait uh, end of October or possibly even later. We don't know. Can we do this? And let's make a note to ourselves so we don't forget. Let me take a picture of the inside of the box and put it on the blog post for this episode. Sure. So people can go out to RollDiceTakeNames.com, look at the blog post for this episode, and we'll have a picture of the top and bottom of the box and and show you what we're seeing. And maybe you can explain to us why one's considered how it, I, I don't even know. I can't even explain it. And that maybe will get our hits up above five on our blog post. Because <laughs> we all know that everybody has a podcast app. And that's, that's how you anyway. But what does make sense? I, I know what you you could you could include it in the image thumbnail. <laughs> I, I will take me a picture. You've got five days to get me that picture so I can edit it down and put it in the thumbnail oh, so everybody can that's see. Funny, that's so funny. Oh my heavens! But what does make sense to me? Yes, is you know we talked about um, the game by Parallel Game. City of the Big Shoulders on the last show, right? Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, if you want to, make sure to go check out that episode because Tony and I loved that game. Woo. Fantastic, mm. heavy economic game. But yes, we talked about that on episode 180. But we did say that uh, even in the rule book, the paper money is something you don't want to use. That's correct. And we used um, poker chips. Mm-hmm. Well, I received from com a set of game-owned coin sets and now these are alloy coins and yes this is a sort of an advertisement people but you know some of the coin sets that we normally get should we have background music for, for this is, is this a sponsored thing i just need to know no it's not a sponsored thing he was okay. kind enough to send it to us and he said well, you know he has a um, blog that he point out put out on board game geek where he talks about his um attempt at getting this out there and i and i met the gentleman it was by chance we were uh, sitting down and playing a demo game and he was talking to me found out who i was and he says well would you be interested i said sure send send it to me and he did and these are these alloy coin sets they don't get scratched up they come in this really nice travel on that we could use for this now unfortunately they arrived after we played uh city of big shoulders and but i would have used those now they're smaller in size and they have this really nice but you could use them for anything they've got all kinds of domination denomination or domination did you say domination domination? did i say domination yes denominations not dominations two different things either way no it's not either way it's not either way it's not either way okay denominations thank you and another game we'll be talking about domination right we will yeah okay so I already got confused. But anyway, game on coin sets. The thing he sent was really cool. I mean, you, it's a small little case, kind of like I have for my Switch, where it's got all the things, uh, all the coin sets in there, and they've got the plucky foam that's inside of it, and it's set out. A really nice addition to any games, and I like how you can put it all back in there and use it for other ones. He designed it specifically for Power Grid. Mm. Have you ever played Power Grid? Yes. You have? Okay. You know, one day I hope to get it out and play Power Grid and use it for that. But for any of those games that you got the coins or tokens or whatever, uh, recommend it. Go check this out. 
So it's called Der, D-E-R, Coinmeister, M-E-I-S-T-E-R.com. And I will say, what, do you, what are the size of them, Tony? A quarter? A little bit bigger than a quarter? Uh, smaller than a quarter. And I know people may like the big, chunky poker chips, which are super nice. But I will say in City of the Big Shoulders, uh, you can get a lot of coins stacked on your cards. The smaller ones are nice. I mean, they still have a good tactical feel to them. And like you said, they have denominations. Gosh, is it start at one, five, tens, 20, 25s, 50s, 100s, all the way up to it was thousands, right? Mm-hmm. So it would easily cover us for that game. We had plenty of amount. And it's actually smaller. The case is smaller than like a big poker chip case. So it probably is would be something I would rather use for travel purposes as opposed to carrying around big ceramic poker chips. And that case fit very nicely in my miniature market bag that mm-hmm. we got at Gen Con, you know, for our, the big portable gaming thing, backpack game thing. It fit right in there nicely at miniaturemarket.com where you can pick up all your needs for gaming. Okay, it's a little early for that one. It still counts. It still counts, <laughs> Miniature Market. Oh, hey, you know what? Uh, speaking of poker chips, one of our favorite games that uses poker chips came out with an expansion. Now, last year, we dolted all over the game War Chest from Alderac. In fact, we gave this game a squirrely for the best two-player game. And they just released, or it's getting ready to release, we got an early copy of the expansion, Nobility. Uh, Tony and I got a, sit, a chance to sit down and play it. It adds four brand new units, and the units are super, super cool. Very different than the others, but it's not just that, Tony. They add a whole new mechanic called the Royal Decree. No, no, no. It's not called the Royal Decree. What's it called? The Royal McCree. The Royal McCree. You are right. Somebody said when we, when we put it on Twitter, said you should just call it the Royal McCree after uh, Tony's last name. So it's called the Royal McCree. And it's a set of cards that you're going to be able to, to, to put out on the table. And if you, if you haven't played War Chess, we'll just quickly remind you, it's about pulling. It's a bag builder. You're pulling uh, poker chips out of a bag. It is a chess-like game. It's a very abstract game. You're putting units onto a board. You're trying to take control of spots on the board and fight other units. When you defeat them, they go out of the game. But you can use these poker chips in order to activate other poker chips on the board, like poker chips, or use poker chips to recruit to put more into your bag. But, Tony, there's one coin in there. Uh, that was part of both each of our bag called the Royal Coin, which really its only purpose was to recruit or take the initiative from somebody mm-hmm. else. And that was kind of the only purpose. These new cards, the Royal McCree cards, give another purpose to that coin. If you play that coin face up, you can use one of the abilities on one of those three McCree cards. There was like, okay, let's, what, let's go back to Royal Decree. Okay. It's getting eerie. <laughs> okay. Uh, what was there, like 12 to 16 cards? Uh, different cards that were in the uh, the deck. I'm, I'm thinking it was eight. I'm thinking it was eight. Is okay. Eight. Okay. But you only pick three. And you can activate each one of the cards once per game. And uh-huh. they could do special things like one of them lets you recruit twice. Uh, one of them lets you take one unit off the board, respawn at other places. And so that whole element adds a whole other action that you can take using this royal coin that really only had two purposes. Now it has three. But it has an old new di- dynamic to the game plus... The four new units that made it very interesting from a strategy concept because you're sitting there a coin that used to be like well i'm only going to do this with it where i'm going to recruit or i'm going to do this now oh oh that those powers over there are pretty special 
So how do I want to use this coin now? Do I want to go over there? I can only use it once. When is a particular time to use it? Because the one we had where you could recruit twice, you and I quickly jumped on that. We said, oh yeah, we're going, we're going to pull these coins over and quickly grab that and get those units in the bag. Now I got to play with the Bannerman and the Earl for my expansion units. And mm -hmm. the Bannerman was unique in that he allowed me to move an adjacent friendly unit. So whenever he took a maneuver action, then the unit next to him got to take one as well. That one was cool. Oh, I was going to say, and I had one that allowed me to uh, be able to bolster any unit that's beside of it. Uh, mm -hmm. Typically you have to, and you get to bolster from the supply. So instead of having to recruit to get it into your bag, then pull it out and use it to bolster, it's just boom, immediately just bolster another unit on the board, right straight from the that, supply. That was the Herald, wasn't it? Yes, it was. The bishop that you had was probably my favorite. The, the the Earl, I think it was the Earl. Or did see now I'm getting myself confused. You made me play so many games on Saturday, I'm getting confused now. Either way, my guy, he could not be attacked by a bolstered unit. Bishop. And that it was I that was the bishop. Yep. Did because you have the Earl. Yeah, because thematically the the bishop uh was all about it's like, hey, you know, I'm special. You can't you can't be coming up in here and attacking me like that when you're all big and mighty and everything. And that mm. unit ticked me off. Cause I had the ability to bolster units. So all my dudes were bolstered, and you just move this bishop all and you would never attack me. And I couldn't attack you back. So you were using the bishop to go around and pick up stuff. So I had to go and like fight something to unbolster. <laughs> you know, one of my units so I could get over there and try to take care of your bishops. And I never did. And you played him so well. So, so, so that was such a good unit. And if you were able to protect him so that, oh, you're going to come at him and try to attack him with a unit. And if I've got a unit ru running with him, then I'm going to attack you first. And then I've got to get somebody else out. So a uh, nice, nice addition to War Chest. Oh, this one's probably going to get another squirrely for expansion. For sure. I'm trying to think of other expansions that's been out over the year. We're already in September of 2018. I'm sorry. Did you say 2018? Did we just Oh my gosh, jump? I did. I did. 2019. Unless something else knocks this out of a nomination, which I don't see it happening, this is going to get nominated because I love expansions to where sometimes, you know, expansions come out and they go, eh, I can live or live without it the royal decree cards are like nope every time i play war chest i'm going to want to use that new mechanic with the royal decrees now you randomly assign units we happen mm -hmm. to make sure that we both played the brand new ones just to see how they worked but typically you draft or, or deal out the units oh and also the expansion box it's a super nice box but it comes with a, a tray that can hold up to uh 16 units but it only has four in there but that tray fits in the base box so now there's another tray in the base box for adding even more units and future expansions and everything will be in one box and it is a heavy heavy box now tony oh yeah i mean those chips are not a light thing man mm -hmm. they're not light so that uh, amazing job from Trevor Benjamin and David Thompson. Uh, this game from AEG is going to be coming out the expansion is going to be coming out soon B between this and Undaunted, the series that they're working on, those guys are on fire for two-player games. And what's so cool, Tony, is, is even though that both of these have some similar mechanics, the idea of when you kill a unit, it leaves the game, and you have to recruit units in and stuff like that. To me, Undaunted has a very thematic feel to it, 
Whereas the War Chest is definitely more of like an abstract type game. The War Chest, and it, when we were playing it, it reminded me just how hard you, because you can't just put all these pieces out on the play field because then you, they're useless because you have to have that piece come out of your bag to activate it on the play field. So you can't just say, oh, I've got five scouts out there and I'm just going to throw five scouts out on the field. You, you, you can do that. That's fine. Well, no, you can't do that. You could only put one unit on the field, but you could bolster it four times. You could bolster it up five times, but then what's it going to do? It's going to sit there because you can't exactly. pull one out of the bag to do anything with it. So you always have to have a like unit in the bag to pull from to activate the one that's on the board. Freaking annoying part of that game. No, it's it's an ingenious part of that game because it adds this twist. It's like, well, and we were doing bag countings, dude. We were like, okay, I see he has one chip left in his supply, two in his discard. That means there's only one in that bag. What's the chances of him pulling it out? I'm going to risk it. Oh, look, he pulled it out, which you actually mm-hmm. did the other day. That was funny. Oh, look, he's got he's got archers. Mm-hmm. Okay, what's the chances that he pulled out his two archers that are in the bag on that draw. Nah, not that. Oh, there's one. Oh, there's the second one. Tink, tink. Archers are annoying. So War Chest, still a great game. The expansion, nobility. Uh, look for it uh, coming out soon. Speaking of expansions, today I just got the new Warhammer Underworlds Beast Grave expansion. And, you know, we were huge or i was for sure big on warhammer underworld shade spire which came out holy cow two years ago september 2017 and if you want to you can go listen to our episode i think it was episode 128 it was it was episode 128 when we still had wow we still had our old logo back then where we did a deep dive into shade spire and we've touched on it since then well they've come out with a brand new expansion uh, that's going to be coming out right out of this episode's release. It's going to be coming out the uh, the following uh, weekend. Like I said, it's called Beast Grave. It's adding two brand new factions, which always look amazing. But I want to just touch on some of the differences. The game pretty much plays the same way, except they've added a few things. Setup is a tad different. Uh, to, uh, when you win a roll-off, you decide who's going to place the board first. Typically, you would just say whoever won the roll-off placed it first. Objective hexes can now be flipped into lethal hexes. And lethal hexes are on the board where if you run into them, they actually do damage to you. So that's different than what Shade Spire was. Also, at the end of the setup phase, each of you can add a lethal hex to the board, which changes the game uh, play uh, a lot, changes the board layout uh, a lot. Uh, spells, those were added in Night Vault, which I talked about before. Those are still back in here. They've added hybrid objectives now. So the whole goal is to try to score objectives and get glory points. But now there's hybrid objectives where if you meet one of two conditions, you score it. So that makes it a little bit easier to score. But then there's also one called dual objectives where you have to meet two conditions to score, but it gives you a lot of points. And they've added a whole new keyword section. And I was surprises hadn't been done yet but a lot of the units have keywords on them like in games like magic etc but in the rule book it'll tell you explained what the keyword is and what it does so that's now part of the card again if you've never played warhammer underworlds and you're looking for a easy to play miniatures game but it feels like more like a card game this this is amazing and one thing that they did uh is at barnes and noble they have a version called warhammer underworlds dread fane which is kind of like an entry level or an introduction to it. There's no deck building in it. 
So there's no uh, neutral cards that you can use to tweak your deck. It just basically, here's a deck for one person, here's a deck for another. So there's no universal cards is what they call them. There's a single board, so there's no like picking what board you want to use, what side, how to line it up. It's just you put out a board. The rules are easier to understand. They've trimmed down some of the rules. When you do a full wipe in this game, it's an auto loss. That doesn't exist in the other one. But the idea is you can get up and running really quick. But what's really cool is, is eventually they're going to release uh, these factions by themselves or other cards to go along with them so you can take them out of that box and play a full game of warhammer underworlds because if you were to go compete in a tournament or something you wouldn't use the board that came with it but you could use the factions so that is available right now it's a barnes and noble exclusive and it's a good way to get into the game or you can just jump right into this brand new expansion and they just announced they're going to start rolling out cards uh, phasing out cards. I'm sorry. So from like Shade Spire, the universal cards and that will no longer be able to be legal in tournament. They're going to start rolling them out or, or phasing them out like they do in Magic. You can still use the factions. You can still use the faction cards, but they're getting rid of the universal cards. Bonus to that is if you're new to the game, you haven't got to buy all this stuff to catch up. You could just buy in. You can get up and playing. The bad part is if you do have those old cards, well, in tournament play, they're not going to be available to use anymore and before we get off of it there's two other games they do have at games uh at barnes and noble that are exclusives one is combat arena which is a fun little miniatures uh skirmish game it's even it, now that's definitely more of a, just a chuck dice and try to do damage to one another it's probably less strategical than what warhammer underworlds is and then a co-op game called storm vault based in the uh, warhammer 40k universe uh, they released a lord of the rings game that used the kind of the same mechanics but it was pvp They've taken those same mechanics and put them in the Warhammer 40k universe and made it more of a co-op. So they're coming out, Tony, with all these Barnes and Noble exclusives to get people. It's like, hey, you may not have ever heard of Games Workshop, or if you have, here's what this is all about, and here's how you dip in your toe into this world. And with uh, Dreadfane that's out there, Barnes and Nobles, it's a great way to get into Warhammer Underworlds. So you know what I heard out of all that? Mm -mm. Out of two years, I bought my base set to start with, filmed the video with you on it. Mm -hmm. or actually just me showing it. Then I got my Skaven, and then we've moved on to something else. So what that's telling me, if you're interested in getting into this Warhammer Underworld stuff, I got a set for you. Well, here's the thing. I still like to play. I'd love to play. It's not moved on for me. It's an amazing game. And, and I know uh, recently I talked about Warcry, and I talked about his easy game to get into. Two totally different games. Warcry it's also a skirmish game, but it's more of a miniatures game. Way more of a miniatures type game. You're using tape measures to measure and play and move your units around. Warhammer Underworlds, to me, is more of a card game. You're building a deck to play, and you're using those cards and actions to move the units around on the board. There's no tape measures or anything. You just move, like, number of hexes, and then you attack and try to get points. They're both in the exact same universe, but both have totally different feels, both stay on my shelf and I'll play you the one of them either time. One would not replace the other for me. So Tony, anytime you want to get those scaven out and let me eat some rats, I'll be glad to do it. Okay. I, you have to rego the rules with me. I will say one thing about uh, old workshop guys over there. One thing that they're going to dip in my pocketbook about, they released the go Trek model. Mm -hmm. mm. Have you looked at it? Oh yeah. Isn't that gorgeous? I've just been Looking at it online, seeing some of the paint jobs people are coming out, the discussion about which base you want to put on it. Well, mine will be displayed. Mine's going to be like Funko vs. Dolls. Mine will just be sitting there on the desk where people can come into my professional office and say, what the heck is that? And I'll say, well, that's GoTrek. Go check it out. You'll be thankful you did. That's, that's a good series. That's a lot of good reading there. 
Yeah, and like I told you, uh, new books are coming out, new series. He's back in the Age of Sigmar universe. He kind of disappeared, and now he's back. Yeah, that mo- that model is super sweet, super sweet. It's one of those things that uh, I don't know. I guess you can't use it in Warcry, but definitely you can use it in Age of Sigmar. Essen is around the corner. The holidays are around the corner. A lot of new games are going to be coming out. One big one that we're going to be talking about soon, Marvel Champions. You, if you want to get a copy of that, you can go and pre-order that right now to make sure that you get your copy because I honestly think Marvel Champions is going to be a hot game and it may be hard to get your hands on, especially some of the accessories like the play mats. There's a play mat for every character and Miniature Market has all those right now for pre-order. Plus, all these games are going to be coming out over at Essen or gifts that you want to get later in the holiday season. And if you want to keep up with all that, make sure to join the Miniature Market email list where you can sign up for promotion, hot game releases, and remember to check every day for the drop where they have a brand new game that goes on the drop list that drops day after day until it goes away and once again tony i push my luck on the civilization expansion i said i'm going to wait till it gets just under 15 bucks and as soon as it did it sold out so do not wait too long on the drop don't push your luck too hard or you may miss your chance to go get some amazing deals over at miniaturemarket.com five minute initiative begins in Three, two, one. We got on the table Pax Premier Second Edition by publisher Whirly Gig Games, designer Cole Whirly, artist Cole Whirly. Cole's got his stuff going everywhere in this thing, doesn't he, Marty? <laughs> yeah. Premier. This this is his game right here. And I'm going to be honest with you. This game is so simple from the uh, basic rule understanding that I was able to grasp this right away. Nothing complex here because it's really a tableau building game. And Marty, there are only two actions that you really need to worry about when you're playing this game. Or you're really downplaying the complexity of this game. Yes, the actions are pretty simple, Tony. <laughs> Play a card from your hand or buy a card to add to your hand. And the and the card market's really cool. It's like Century Spice Road. Uh, there's values of cards from zero to uh, five. And if you want to take a card that's worth, you know, four or five, you drop a coin like on zero, one, two, all the way down, like in like in uh, Century Spice Road, buy that card and that money stays on there. So when somebody buys it later, they get all that money. Boy, when you say that oh, this is a very simple game, you don't go into the fact that this is an historical based game where you're going to pick well, one of three affiliations, British, Russian or Afghan. And, and all of you could be the same. All of you could be different. And you can change your loyalties over the course of the game because you're playing in Afghanistan. And Tony, at its core, I guess it's an area control game because over the course of the game, you're trying to put out influence and trying to get control because when dominant scoring cards that come up over the course of the game from that market, that's going to determine when you're going to set scoring in place and start gathering some victory points. Yes, I was downplaying it, but the the core mechanic of, you know, buy a card, play a card, that's that's simple as it is. But it's when you play that card. There is, like you told me, there is a flow chart that you have to go through. Like, I want to play this card. Does this trigger this effect? Or does it trigger this impact? Or does it impact me here? Or will it cause them to do that? But when you play that card, it is a simple mechanic of, I'm going to play this card and I am going to do the actions on the right of the card. And I'm going to do that in an area that's listed on the card. And when I do that, I may have to pay somebody or I may not, depends on who's there. That's one of those check parts. But to me, that was one of the neat 
strategic parts of this game that you're having to deal with that. Because if you don't have the money, because money is a tight resource in here, you cannot do it. Because mm-hmm. you're right. You're not one of those nation states. You're not Britain. You're not Russian. You're not Afghan. You are the, tri- as Nate explained it to us, you are a tribal leader. And you are just trying to influence who has control in this country. And that is a key element because you can switch alliances, which was something I really liked. I enjoyed that. Yeah. And like I said, when you put the cards down, you're going to get able to do some things. You can borrow money. You can leverage, take two rupees. One of the things is you've got these cylinders that you can take off your uh, player board and put into play. You can put them out as spies, maybe attack other people's cards and destroy their cards. You can use those same cylinders and put them as tribes on the Afghan map in order to try to gain control of areas. And once you get cards into play, Tony, not only do you have the option to buy a card, play a card, then you can start taking actions on the cards themselves. And that's also where like a flow chart be nice. Like when I want to move, where can I move? How can I move? You can betray somebody by destroying one of the cards where you have a spy on it. You can give a gift to the nation that you're being loyal to, and that's going to become important later on when you're determining points, or you can battle somebody. And again, there's a whole rules thing here. Well, if I have a person here and they have persons here and I have more units than them, I can start knocking out some of their units. So there's a lot of things going on in this little tight area control game my mind was kind of hurting after a while. And it sounds like it's one of those things, man, how long does this game take this game? I've played several times, four players every time under two hours. And I think for a game with this complexity to get done in under two hours is just amazing. And I will say Marty, that one of the things that I did not like was the downtime between turns because of that complexity. Everybody's like, well, why is that bad? Because as people are strategizing, trying to figure out which cards I want to pick up or how do I want to do my move, it could be a item that may cause you to just sit there and say, would you please hurry up, make your move. And it's not like I can plan ahead because they may change the entire dynamic of the board. And it is a very tight game because by changing those dynamics and suddenly the entire play, what you have plan to do suddenly goes haywire, especially if someone changes sides, creates the dominance to shift on you. All that cut together can really, really create downtime. I'm torn, Marty. I I really enjoyed playing this game, but the downtime kind of came to a crawl for me, which kind of Lick some of the red off my candy cane. And I think one of the things is, too, is like there's multiple ways that you can score points. When a scoring card kicks off, you determine if there's dominance. There's two ways to get points. I think this is a really important part I want to hit. If there's one correlation that has the most blocks in play, and blocks are used as roads and an army that you can put out onto the board, and there's cards that let you put them out there. If you have at least four more than the other two factions, then you have dominance. Who's ever loyal to that faction, whoever has the most dominance tokens, which may be cards in play or gifts given, they're going to score points. But if nobody has dominance, then it goes back to who has most of those tokens out on the board. There's tokens that you use for spies and tribes. Whoever has the most of those out scores points. So, Tony, there's this constant thing of like, well, I'm on the faction with dominance. So I'm going to try to score points that way. But if I'm not, maybe it's like, well, I'm going to make sure you don't get dominance. I'm going to make sure I always have enough guys out there where you don't have dominance. And instead, I'm going to put out a lot of my tokens and score. And Tony, that's how I won the game last time was by doing something like that and actually sneaking away with the win because you guys were fighting for dominance. And I was like, no, I'm just going to make sure that when the dominance check happens, it doesn't succeed. And instead, I'm just going to score points because of all these tokens I put out on the board. I like the game. It's thinky. It's it's a brain burner. 
I don't know. Tony, I didn't think the downtime was that bad. That's your opinion. And this is PAX Premier Second Edition by Cole Worley from Worley Gig Games. Five minute initiative is complete. At the in flight report this past year at Gen Con, FFG dropped a bombshell. A brand new LCG was coming out. Now, Tony, I must confess at this point, the day before the in-flight report, I had from a pretty reliable source that a new LCG was going to be coming out and it was going to be Marvel themed. Immediately when I heard that, I thought, and, and that's all the details I got. They said they didn't really know other than that. I thought, oh, for sure, this is going to be a head-to-head game. Because in my opinion, since Netrunner's gone, Warhammer 40k Conquest is gone, Game of Thrones 2nd Edition didn't really take off, and L5R has really kind of petered out. I thought they probably need another competitive game to put in play. So I was surprised when, come to find out, it's a co-op game. All right, so you just gave an argument for why they wouldn't put out a competitive game. Game of Thrones is gone because it was competitive. This is how I read it. Um, L5R has petered out. It's competitive. Uh, Netrunner, it was great, but for some odd reason died. So there... By reverse logic, sir, in your mm. engineering brain self, remember top and bottom, the <laughs> fact is Marvel Thanks. should be com- uh, cooperative. Okay, I'll give you that because since Arkham Horror LCG came out, it has sat in the probably top 10 to top 20 of the BGG hot list, hot list ever since it was released. So maybe they realize, you know what? People like their co-op games. And so they came out with one. And we were very fortunate to get an early copy of Marvel Champions LCG from FFG because we have such a long history with card games. I mean, I was playing Warhammer Invasion. Uh, Remember that, Tony, (laughs) when it first came out many, many years ago? And you and I jumped on the Lord of the Rings LCG uh, bandwagon and played it for a long time. So it's like, we really want to check this game out. And uh, we were fortunate to do so. And we got to sit down and play. And I've sat down and played, and I've played, played multiple times, and I've played, and I've I've played solo. I've played lots of two player, and I've played four player. The only version I haven't played is three player, so I'm ready to talk about it all. Because in this game, you are taking control of one of five heroes, and the core set comes with She Hulk, Captain Marvel, Spider Man. Iron Man, and Black Panther. Can we just uh, agree to call everything by their abbreviations? Because we have L-O-T-R, L-C-G by F-F-G. We've got A-H, L-C-G by F-F-G. And now we've got M-C by L-C-G by F-F-G. I'm okay with that. Now, if you want, I'll be happy to sit back and you can go deep dive into the rules and explain all you want from that standpoint. Or people can go out and watch your video that you did with Mr. Epic himself, Roy Kennedy's. Um, over at the Dice Tower. You did a live stream and a play. Uh, your white balance was off, as you know. Um, I, did you get that fixed? It was kind of, it wasn't, well, it wasn't off the cuff thing. We had a couple of days to kind of prepare, but we didn't have a chance to practice the stream before we did. So yes, the, the camera was a little off. It was hard to see the cards. I apologize for those that watched that. And it was hard to read the, uh, the text on the cards, but the whole goal was kind of see how the game flows and just answer some questions as we get along. And speaking of how the game flows, it has a very familiar feel 
appeal to both Lord of the Rings and Arkham Horror. And the reason why is because a lot of the same designers were involved in all these games. And the designers of this particular game is Michael Boggs, Nate French, and Caleb Grace. So they have this history of LOTR and AH, and they've pulled in some of the mechanics into this universe and created a game that has a similar feel, but to me is different enough to where it segregates itself from the other two. And what's going to stand me out from all the other games is, and you pointed this out to me after we played is this is not a epic campaign style game like Lord of the Rings or Arkham Horror. Right. This is your one shot. You're going to play a one and done and that's it. And that's great. Yes. Uh, because in this core set, uh, you have scenarios that you're going to be playing through. You're basically going to be playing against three different villains. When you play the game, uh, there's going to be a main villain in play. And core set contains Rhino, Claw, and Ultron. And there's different uh, difficulties. Rhino's the easiest and Ultron is the hardest. And I will say that right out of the box, they did a good job, not only marking which is the top and the bottom, but the cards are packaged in such a way that if you just want to get up and playing, they have Spider-Man and Captain Marvel ready to unwrap, shuffle, and go. Likewise, the Rhino deck is set up and ready to go. And there is two rule books, just like in most FFG games, a learn to play and a rules reference. And the learn to play says, open up this deck, shuffle, sit down, get your tokens out and start going. Now, I will say this, Tony. (laughs) I do not understand this. Much like I do not understand the box top and box bottom, the decks that for for Marvel and Spider-Man The Spider-Man deck has like a checklist that you can see through the wrapping. And when Mm -hmm. you open it up, you flip that card over and it says, do not open until instructed. So now is it just me or does it seem that that card should be facing out so I can read that before I open it and go, oh, well, don't open this till I was instructed. So, okay. So we had a quality control issue, (laughs) but they got the quality control straight on the box. Okay. We know the top and the bottom. I know the top and the bottom. (laughs) So coming right out of the gate, uh, it's an easy game to get into because the learn to play steps you through those decks. And it's one of those games that you're going to be taking your uh, turn. You're going to go through your entire turn. The other person will go through their turn. Then you're going to move to a villain uh, villain phase. So there's two phases, player phase and a villain phase. And if you played some of the other games, you know, typically those co-op games are, are broken down into phases too. My gosh, Lord of the Rings has a lot of them. There's like a resource phase and a questing phase and an encounter phase and, uh, and all this stuff. And I th- and lo- it's even less than Lord of the Rings. I think what Lord of the Rings has three mythos, f- mythos phase, player phase, and uh, the villain phase or the uh, monster phase. You're talking about Arkham Horror there when you said the three phases? I did. I said the wrong thing. It's Arkham Horror's three. So this is, this is e- even less. The one thing that I think is different on this game, let's just talk about how this game plays and how it's different, is that with Lord of the Rings and Arkham Horror, you pay for things using resource tokens. Now, Tony, that's one thing that you and I liked about Lord of the Rings. The concept that each of the players or each of the characters that you had in play up to three had spheres. And when you and those uh, characters got resources for that particular type of sphere. And when you played a card, you had that every card was affiliated with a sphere and you had to pay resources for that particular type of card. And we thought that mechanic was really cool. Arkham Horror just has basic resources. You collect them over the course of the game. You put cards out into play. Marvel Champions did something different. Your cards are actually the resources. 
In the upper left-hand corner, there's a cost to a card, and when you play it, you must discard that number of cards from your hand in order to put that card into play. So now your cards will do a purpose. They'll either act as a card or act as a resource for playing for other cards. Now, Tony, I've not talked to you about this, but I'm just curious, how do you feel about that mechanic? For, for this game and for the theme of this game, I like it. I thought I'd hate it, but I didn't. I, I had no problem because it made for some very tough choices in this game. It made for me to say, okay, I need to be able to, and you'll go over this, you know, get rid of threat. And in order to do that, I'm going to have to expend three of these cards in order to do that. And if I do that, then I'm not going to be able to attack Rhino later, or I'm not going to be able to put down this great resource or this ally that I have in my hand because I need to play this card now. I never felt card starved or resource starved, or nor was I ever put in like in Lord of the Rings where if I didn't have that right sphere sitting there, then all of a sudden I couldn't spend and I drew the wrong ones. That did not bother me. Uh, like it did, does in Lord of the Rings. I haven't played Arkham Horror enough to real to compare those two, so that to me was a positive. And Lord of the Rings, that would always be a negative. Oh man, I I know I've got to collect, but I didn't collect them in the right, or I, I'm drawing cards that are expending too much in one sphere, and now I'm in trouble. I like this aspect in Marvel Champions of using the cards to account for being able to play cards. When I first played the game and I got a demo at Gen Con, I didn't like it at all. I didn't like the decisions I had to make of, great, well, now I've got to decide. And and you and you did like it. You said, I've got to decide, am I going to keep this great card or do I need to get rid of it in order to play this maybe other card over here that maybe makes more sense right now? And, and so you said you didn't find it hard managing your, your card resource. You never felt card starved. I always feel card starved. Because when I pay for a card, I'm getting rid of cards. And at the beginning, at the end of your player turn, you're going to get to draw back up your hand. But you have to do some some serious planning. And in fact, I found that the AP was greater in this game because of that decision you have to make. A lot of two-player games I've played with different people, on their turn, they're going to sit there and they're, they're going to sit there and think, well, crap, I either want to play this card or I want to play this card. Which one do I want to get rid of? And it induces a little bit of AP because that's an extra decision point that has to be made as opposed to, oh, I just have a pool of tokens in front of me, like an Arkham. I'm just going to pay these pool of tokens and then put it into play. And if I don't have enough tokens this turn, then I'll get some more tokens next turn. And I can play this card then. So you're never having to, to ditch a card. But here, a lot of the goal is getting through your deck and getting the cards that you need and having other cards in, in your hand to pay for. So I'm still warming up to it. But from what I've seen... It does add an extra element of possible AP that maybe the other two don't have. Then you're overthinking it. Either break it down to the essence, damage or threat. What do I need to accomplish this round? But it's it's not just that. It's other things. It is, do I heal? Uh, I, let, me, let me just go ahead and throw out how you even win this game. The enemy has an X amount of hit points that you must deal in order to knock him out. The hit points is a base number times the number of players. So if it was 15, there was two players and you need 30 points to knock him out. Like with Rhino, there's multiple versions. You knock out the first version, the second stage, the second version of Rhino is a little bit harder. So you typically have to knock out multiple versions of them. So that's how you win. But you can lose in two ways. Because with every villain, there's a main scheme that they're trying to do. For example, with Rhino, he's trying to break into a bank or something like that. And at the beginning of every villain phase, there's these threat tokens that go on the main scheme. And if a certain amount of tokens end up on that scheme, you automatically lose. If any hero 
goes down to zero health points, you automatically lose. So it's not just threat and damage. It's also making sure you stay alive. Got to reduce the amount of threat. You got to deal some damage eventually if you want to win. And you got to make sure you keep yourself healed. And the cards that you have in your hand can help you do all those things. True. So three things. Am I going to survive? Am I going to create damage or am I going to do threat? What is the key aspect I have to accomplish on this turn? So for me, that's why I didn't mind it as much. And you talked about it. For those who have played Sentinels of the Multiverse, the same concept on defeating the villain. Okay. Mm -hmm. The same concept with the environment that's out there. Hey, there's an environment that's creating an issue for you. There are threats that are creating the, the main scheme and there are additional threats that pop up. Not like it does in Sentinels on every turn, but eventually through as you move through the villain's deck, there will be something else that comes into play, like there are hostages in, involved, or maybe there's a bomb to defuse. So you have to deal with that on top of the main scheme that the villain is trying to accomplish. Yep. I understand. I don't mean anything bad about your slow decision-making process there, Marty. I understand. And maybe it's just been me, and maybe it's because I'm sitting there, maybe I am overthinking it, but it's just so different than those other games where I'm used to a resource physical token that I'm using to spend as opposed to the cards themselves. And by the way, there's different types of resource tokens or resources on those cards. And the resources in the bottom left-hand corner, you have mental, physical, energy, and wild. It doesn't matter which one you use to pay for what cards. You don't have to match them or anything. It's just that some cards will say, oh, by the way, if you happen to pay for this card, using a physical type of resource, you get some sort of bonus. So that's where the different types of resources come into play. And there are some uh, basic cards in there that have two of those or have multiple of those same tokens on there. So you can discard one card and get two types of those resources to help you pay for stuff. So you can put those in your deck too to help pay for stuff. So on your turn, you're going to be playing cards. You're going to be putting allies into play that can help you fight or thwart and the what thwart is removing threat from schemes or you can attack which will deal damage to somebody else so you can have allies in play that can do that you could put, put support cards into play that can help you over the course of the game upgrades which are very important to some characters for example black panther and iron man live off upgrade cards they want a lot of upgrades out there to beef them up. And it makes sense, right, Tony? Iron Man's all about this suit. And so is mm -hmm. Black Panther. They need all this stuff in play to become super efficient. And uh, the main hero can attack or they can thwart. But they can do something else, Tony, which I think is really cool is the hero card is double-sided. There's a hero side and there's an alter ego side. And once per turn, you can flip from one to the other. On the alter ego side... The only thing that you can do is recover, but with each hero, there's also a special text box on each one of them, and each one of them in either their hero or alter ego has a special ability. And what happens is, depending on which side you're on, is how the villain's going to deal with you. Because when you do move into the villain phase, well, let me finish out the, the player phase real quick. At the very end of the player phase, you're going to do a lot of exhausting. I like when you attack with somebody, you exhaust, which is rotate, you know, 90 degrees. And at the very end of the hero phase, you're going to reset uh, all your cards... You're going to draw back up to your Mac, your hand size, and that depends. Your alter ego typically has a bigger hand size than your hero side. And for somebody like Iron Man's hero side, he only has a hand size of one unless he gets upgrades into play. Because each upgrade increases his hand size 
on the hero side. So his alter ego, his ability is about milling his deck. Has a big hand size because he's trying to find these upgrades, get them into play so that when he flips over to the hero, then he has a nice good hand size in order to be able to play cards. So the hand size varies between heroes. So once you draw back up, then you go into the villain phase. Depending on which side you're on, is how the villain's going to deal with you. If you're on your hero side, the villain's going to come and he's going to attack you. He's going to take his attack damage. You're going to have an encounter deck. You're going to flip over the top card of the deck. And in the bottom right-hand corner, there's some icons which could boost the damage. And you're just going to take X amount of damage. At that point, you could decide you could defend. Every hero has a certain amount of defense. You can tap your hero and decrease the amount of damage you take by the, the, the defense value. But now look, you're exhausted, which means in your next player turn, your hero is going to be exhausted and not reset till the very end. So you're not going to be able to do anything your hero next turn. So that's a decision you have to make. But if you're on your alter ego side, Rhino's stupid, right, Tony? He doesn't know Peter Parker is Spider-Man. So if he's like, well, if there's no heroes around, I'm going to continue working on my plan to break into the bank. So in that case, when he deals with the alter ego, instead, he's just going to put extra threat onto the scheme every single round. So then that's where I can understand where you're talking about AP. It's like, crap, if I'm on alter ego side, ratting threat. But if I'm on my hero side, he's dealing damage and I'm almost dead. What do I do? And it comes down to your cards and, and where do your luck, where is your luck that night on which card's going to be flipped? Because if it adds additional damage or suddenly he gets, oh, I don't know. There was a keyword about he gets suddenly enraged or something like that. I don't know. There's keywords everywhere flying in this game. Why can we not agree on simple keywords? Actually, you can. And that's one thing that's really interesting about this. A lot of the keywords that are in Arkham Horror and Lord of the Rings are in this one. One prime example is Surge, because when you draw a card from the encounter deck after the villain and has dealt with you, each person gets an encounter card. And when you flip it over, it might be a minion that's now engaged with you that you must now deal with. It's going to be dealing damage with you. It could be some sort of event you deal with. Some of the cards have the keyword Surge, which means... Once you resolve this card, draw another card. So I agree, Tony. There are some keywords in this that you have to learn, but because it's from the same designers and stuff, a lot of the keywords are the same. It's good to know. You can tell it's been a while since I played Lord of the Rings because I had forgotten that. I thought it was like treachery and all this other stuff, but maybe there's treachery. Maybe there's endurance. Well, that's I the beauty remember. of it. There are treachery cards in the encounter deck, just like oh. in Lord of the Rings, just like in Arkham Horror, just like in Marvel Champions. So I'm going to go ahead and just sum it up for me. And then, Marty, you can go on. For, for me, this game comes down to I've got Marvel Legendary. I've got Sentinels of the Multiverse on my iPad. Do I need another Marvel game? Do I need another LCG with Lord of the Rings sitting there getting cobwebs? Is this something that I would want to put on my shelves again to play? The judgment is still out. Because I'm more curious about the solo play. Because for me, one of, the, one of the big hurdles for Lord of the Rings was always building that deck and getting that resource sphere stuff balanced correctly. Here, I think the card building and deck building, and you'll, I'm sure you'll mention this, is probably going to be a little bit easier. And I think from a solo aspect, this game is going to be one that I could get out on the table and feel better trying to pull it out time and time again. Also, it's Marvel. Love the artwork on these cards. I recognize the characters. I recognize some of the styles that they were using. So I enjoyed that. So for me, judgment's still out. Enjoyed playing the game, but do I need another one? We're, we're going to continue to evaluate over time. Well, let me, talk, let me tell you about how the deck building works and you can compare, right? So every hero... 
uh, in the core set and that's going to be coming out in hero packs is going to be consist of 15 cards. You got your hero card plus another 15 cards. There's what's called aspect cards. There's four types of aspects. There's justice, uh, which helps with uh, thwarting uh, or getting rid of threat. There's aggression, which helps you fight. There's leadership, which helps ready allies and gives some uh, bonuses like some crowd support and stuff like that. And then there's protection, which helps you heal. So you're going to pick a hero. You're going to pick one of those four aspects to put into your deck. You can have up to three copies of each of those cards. And then there's just some basic cards that you can include in your deck. Your deck size has to be between 40 and 50 cards. There's your legal deck. So all you got to do is hero, one aspect, pick which ones you want in there, and that's the entire deck building mechanic. And with each um, expansion that comes out, uh, the hero expansion, you're going to get all the heroes, going to get some new aspect cards, and one of the other four aspect cards. It's one of those things, well, if I don't like that hero, why would I buy that deck? Well, normally you wouldn't, <laughs> unless you want one of those particular one-off aspect cards in that deck. So that's the thing you got to think about. But there's also going to be scenario expansions. And I think this is a positive for me, Tony. You talked about being able to sit down and play one and done. I like that. With Arkham Hara, me and the friend that I play with at work, we have to do a lot of planning. Basically, we set up a deck and we know that we're going to play this one deck for weeks because we've got to play through an entire campaign. And that's cool in itself because you can change your deck and tweak it as you go along and get experience points. Here is who you want to fight day. Rhino? Okay, let's try it. Boom. Oh, man, that deck didn't work. I'm going to go tweak that and try it again tomorrow. Boom. Try it again. Oh, sweet. I've beat this. Now what What can I do? Oh, cool. A new scenario deck that's 1999 that's coming out. New villain, new side schemes and stuff. Let's try it. I like that, how they're coming out with that because with Arkham Horror, you got hero, you got like good cards, investigator cards, and the bad stuff all in one. So you had to buy the whole pack. Here, you can just either buy hero or you can just buy the scenario. Okay, does that sound more interesting to you? Scenario, yes. Hero deck takes me back to when in Lord um, Android Netrunner, oh, look, this new corporation's coming out or this new hacker's coming out. I really don't play that corporation. Oh, but look at those generic cards in there. Oh, I got to buy that. I'm buying that whole deck for three cards. Oh, it's killing me. Mm -hmm. Well, I think, I think in that case, you might say, well, I'll just skip those three cards. I think for me personally, it will be more who's the hero. It's like, ooh, look at that. Let's uh, Dr. Strange is coming. I love Dr. Strange. I'm going to buy that one. You know, that sort of deal. And there may mm -hmm. be some heroes that's like, nah, I don't really care to play that person. So I'll just skip it. The core set itself is $20 more than the regular core sets of any other LCG. It's 60 bucks as compared to 40. Now people are going to be, holy crap, they just raised the price. Well, hold on, hold on. Because Tony, when you and I played Netrunner and we played Lord of the Rings, there was not multiple copies of every card in there. In fact, in Netrunner, I got the prime example. Scorched Earth was one of the most popular cards to come out of that core set and there was only one in there so if you wanted three copies of scorched earth to put in your deck you had to spend a hundred and twenty dollars lord of the rings had the same thing they had some single cards in there arkham horror was a little bit better because you got two copies of every card here you're paying twenty dollars more but you get three copies of every single card and you can easily build two full decks out of this core set and never have to buy another one I'm telling you right now, unless you just want to have four decks that you never have to tear apart or anything, you only have to buy the core set and you're done. 
that's a plus. I'll give him that. If you give me all the cards that I need without having to buy another expansion and getting, I'm, I'm all in on that one. Once again, though, I'm still going to give this game some time to ferment. And it's funny, during the in-flight report, when they announced uh, the price, and everybody went, <gasps> and they said, but you get every copy of card that you need to build multiple decks. The crowd went crazy because a lot of people in there knew the issues with the previous LCGs where they knew they had to buy multiple, multiple copies. So now that is gone too. Final conclusions for me. I'm going to compare this game against the other two fantasy flight co-op LCGs. I've played both. They're from some of the same designers, so I thought it'd be good to compare against those two. I'm also going to ignore IP. doesn't even come into play. I'm just looking strictly at game mechanics and how I enjoy playing the game. Coming in third is the Lord of the Rings LCG. It's starting to show its age, even though it's still a very solid game. A lot of tweaks have been made over the past couple of LCGs to kind of fix some of the issues that I had with that game. However, I do like the Lord of the Rings IP the most of all. So that's why I said early on, I'm not going to worry about the theme of the game, just mechanics. Coming in second is actually Marvel Champions, which means coming in first is Arkham Horror LCG. I just absolutely Love that game. It's a heavily narrative game that has a lot of strategy. And when you play this game, I feel like I'm playing a story. The flavor text actually matters. But just as much as that is the mechanics of playing the cards and building the deck and everything. And every game feels totally different due to the map and the narrative. And if you've never played, there's a map that's involved where you use location cards in order to move your investigators around on the board. So every time you play, you're playing in a different location, a different map, so it just feels totally different. However, if I'm to compare the three based on which do I think I'll get to the table more often, it's easily Marvel Champions. This is a game where I can quickly build a deck, as we explained earlier. It's a little bit shorter gameplay. It's a one-off game where I can just pull out an enemy build their deck and play against it real quick. And one more thing about Marvel Champions, it feels less luck-based. If you've ever played Arkham Horror, you know that every time you do a skill check, you have to pull a token out of the bag, some sort of modifier. Over the course of the campaign, those modifiers get worse and worse because they expect you to build a deck to be able to handle those. However, there's always that chance that in a very important skill check, you can pull the autofill token, and I've done it many times. With Marvel Champions, really the only luck-based things are when you have to flip over an encounter card and see how much damage or how much threat's going to be put on the scheme, and you can expect anywhere from from zero to typically two additional damage or threat being put out. So you can kind of plan for that and know that. Not so with Arkham Horror. You always know that you can pull that one bad token out of the bag that can totally ruin your day. So in that way, I do feel I have a little bit more control over how the game plays in Marvel than I do Arkham Horror. And there is one thing about this game that totally blows away the other two, and that's how unique each character feels. Now, we have only seen five characters in the base box, but the reason why I say this is, is because with each hero, you're going to get 15 unique cards made just for that hero. So almost 40% of your deck has to do with this particular hero. So Fantasy Flight and the designers can build mechanics around this hero that makes it feel so different and feel like you're actually playing that character. With Lord of the Rings, you're really just picking three different characters and, and throwing them in into your deck where they're not really different. All the other cards are going to be pulled from the same pool. And with Arkham Horror, there are some investigators where you maybe get two or three 
cards that are made specifically for that investigator, but the rest of the deck is built on a pool that anybody else can use. So that's why I'm saying that in Marvel Champions, each character feels totally unique, and I've come to love that in playing the games that I have because if I sit down with Iron Man and play and then sit down and play with She-Hulk, two totally different experiences. And as they come out with more heroes, then I hope that they have just as much of a unique feel as what the first five do. So even though I like the mechanics of Arkham Horror better, that doesn't mean I'm not going to play Marvel Champions as I'll probably play it more. And since they are so different, where one is all about narrative and campaign-based, and the other is about very unique characters where you sit down and play a quick scenario, they both will stay on my shelf, and I will continue buying expansions for each of those games and getting them both to the table. So there, did I explain myself well? Yes, you did. I'm sorry. I'm dealing with technical issues on my <laughs> end over here. My phone's getting warm, okay? It's flashing up all these errors. So I'm thinking, oh my God, I'm fixing to lose connection with you. All right? Okay. All right. So let's wrap this thing up. This game is supposed to be coming out sometime in October. We're not exactly sure when. It is on pre-order right now at miniaturemarket.com. Uh, Tony has said, you know what? He's going to have to let it sit for a while, see what he thinks. Luckily, I've got cards that he can play. He can just pull out one of my heroes, play anytime he wants to, not have to invest anything because one core set can easily support two players. For me, I'm looking forward to some more heroes that are coming out. I have a co-worker who has bought a core set, so we'll be playing some over lunch. And I honestly think of the three, this may be the most popular co-op LCG over the other two, strictly because of theme, Marvel Super Hot, this game is super easy to get into, even more so than the other two. The rules are easy to understand. It plays quicker. Marvel Champions, FFG. If this hasn't made you want to check it out, then nothing will. PortalGamesUS.com. Their year is wrapping, ramping, excuse me, ramping down. And you know how I know that, Marty, is because Ignacy is actually doing vacations and going to volleyball games. That's right. He's been <laughs> posting all these pictures, not of board games, but of volleyball games. I expect him to have a volleyball game coming out in 2020, the same time as probably Stronghold Undead, which goes on Kickstarter in November, about freaking time. But what? What is this? That means the game won't be delivered until 2020, Marty. So once again, I see another squirrely in Ignacy. Yeah, over at Portal Games. Do you not see that? Oh, I see it. Oh, yeah. Tell me about it. And then, of course, at Essen, he has his new releases, the expansion to Empires of the North. The Japanese are coming. They're selling their ships over to the Vikings, Empires of the North. If you haven't tried that out, recommend that, definitely. And also be sure to check out, we've got a promo card. If you have it, let us know. We can get you one, especially if it's out there on our Pod Pledge page. And then, of course, Preda Porter will be hitting stores here soon, shortly after Essen, those that backed it should be having in their little hands. Looking forward to getting that on the table as well. So be sure to go check out all the news over at PortalGamesUS.com. Tony, it is a two-player card game episode, and anytime we focus on a lot of two-player card games, I get excited. And you and I got to check out two brand new card games from two different companies. And if I were to sit down and play these games, I would have flip-flopped which I thought these games came from just because how it plays. First, from White Wizard Games and designer Peter Schultz is Sorcerer. 
And then from Direwolf Digital, because they have a digital version of this game, and Renegade Studios from designer Paul Denon, Eternal Chronicles of the Throne. And Tony, both of these have fantasy games. Both of these, you're trying to put people out on the board. They're fighting each other. But the similarities kind of end all about there. Yes, they do. So, Sorcerer. Just got one thing to say there, Marty. Yep. I don't think we could cram any more words on a card if they tried. (laughs) There's a lot of text on these cards, I I will admit, yes. Uh, And none of it's flavor text. I'm like, oh my goodness, I was looking at some of these cards. Now, I'll admit these words are needed. Maybe if they picked shorter words, they would have been a lot less text. I don't know what was going on. Let's call the discard pile this. Let's call our draw deck this, the grimoire. The graveyard. Graveyard. Graveyard's the discard pile. That's right. Unique mechanic here is you're battling over territories. You're not trying to take each other out. Whoever controls the best of three territories, so that would be two for those keeping count, you are the winner of the game. And you're battling in these areas. You're trying to put your minions out there to do your dirty deeds to destroy or to get hold of that territory by damaging that area of London. Yep. Or you're going to destroy the other player's minions. That's the game right there. Play some cards, unique player boards that are keeping track of how you're going to be able to play those cards through resources because you have to expend energy. You're tracking your energy in order to play cards. You're not having to discard cards like you are doing in Marvel's Champions. You're expanding energy. You're not turning, tapping lands. You're not doing any of that. You've got energy to spend. That lets you play your cards. There's some unique combos to this game that are kind of like, hmm, if I do this, I can go search my deck and bring me these minions out. All in all, core mechanic, play cards, battle, take control, you win. And there goes a motorcycle. (laughs) Oh, that's funny. Uh, you know, here's the here's the really cool part about it though is that it, it's not a deck building game which is what eternal is which we're going to talk about in a second at the beginning of the game you're going to mix three different types of decks you're going to choose a sorcerer you're going to choose a lineage you're going to choose a domain and each one of those are very unique and you're going to combine each of those three decks together to make a, a, a unique style of deck which adds a to, lot of replay build, hey hey how about this you're going to build a unique deck that's true and it's going <laughs> What did I say? No, I'm just saying you say this is not a deck builder, but you're... I, I, okay, I get it. It's not the deck building mechanic that's like in Eternal. I'm, I'm air quoting in case you can't see. Uh, that we're going to be talking about in Eternal. But that adds a lot of replayability because every time you mix three yeah. different things, it's going to have a totally different feel. And this game is broken up in two phases, the action phase and the battle phase. And I love how this is done. Each of you have six turns on your action phase and you can either get some more source to spend to play cards. You can just, as an action, take two. You can, As an action, you can draw two cards into hand. As an action, you can play a minion into play. As an action, you can put in uh, an upgrade. Uh, so there's these different things that you could be doing over the course, and then you're going to go to the paddle. And to me, Tony, the battle was one of, I don't know. I'm curious on your thoughts. I can see where people don't like the battle, and I can see people who are really like the battle because it's, based on a lot of luck with dice rolls because there's three battlefields in front of you and whoever is considered the first player, they're going to start with the battlefield to the left and then the opposite player will actually get to go first. Going to pick it, take a minion, exhaust it. And the attack on that minion is the number of attack dice that you roll. 
And then here's where you start going back and forth. Because those attack dice have damage, double damage, blanks, and crits. And when I roll, I have the choice to spend what's called omen tokens that I get over the course of the game. Beginning every round, I get one. Every time I play some of the minions, I get one. And I can spend it and re-roll one of my dice. And when I say I'm done, Tony, you can go, oh, yeah, you know what? Those two crits there, you need to get rid of that crap. Re-roll it. And then you can make me re-roll. So we're using this resource to cause each other to re-roll. And once we're done, whoever is the attacker will assign the damage on the num- based on the number of crits that they have so they can assign it to a minion or sign it to the battlefield, all the other damage the defender assigns. And Tony, this is, I thought was a really interesting decision at this point because it's like, crap, do I kill off one of my minions? Do I just give them a few damage? Damage? Don't go ahead and let the battlefield soak it up because if the battlefield gets 12, I lose that battlefield and lose one of the three. I thought that point was really cool. Back to your original point. What did I think of the dice rolling? It's part of the game. If you don't like dice, then you're not going to like this. Plain and simple. Because you're right. It's a random chance. My dice were not coming up very well. It made for my battlefield to get decimated very quickly by you. When I was rolling dice, I didn't have the omen to have it change or I'd spin the omen and roll, roll blanks again. Woohoo! So, yeah, that's a frustrating part of this game. And if it bothers you, you're not going to like this game. There is a push your luck element to it, right? Mm-hmm. So if that frustrates you and it's like, you know what? No, 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 no. I, I don't want dice rolling to determine my outcome then you might want to second think this because this is all about dice rolling. Now you can mitigate some with the omens, which is true. Sometimes you are just going to keep rolling crappily. Now the best thing you could do is try to get as many dice in the pool that you can put out some big boys. You have some abilities that you can do. The sorcerer that you have can be assigned to one of the battlefields and he has a special ability that he can do that might help you out. Uh, All these other cards have special abilities that might be able to kick in during the battle phase and everything. Like Tony said, there's a lot of text on these cards. There's a lot of things that can happen. Each sorcerer is different. Each domain is different. Each lineage is different. So there's a lot of stuff that can go on. But at the crux, you're setting up minions. You're fighting over battlefields. The first person to claim two wins. Now, this is totally different than Eternal because Eternal is, to me, Tony, kind of like a fantasy version of Star Realms. I agree with you, Marty. Eternal was a fantasy star realms. Here you're playing cards. This, this is a um, deck builder purchasing cards, getting them in your hand, doing the classic draw five, but certain cards are going to trigger certain abilities on cards. If I play a card that has this same type of power or this, for me, it's colors, this red color, this blue color, because I really didn't care what the powers were. I was matching colors. Then I would be able to trigger certain effects on this card Now, what was unique about this game for me, Marty, was how it ended up doing the battles where you were blocking and doing damage, where your heroes would stay in play, giving me a chance to respond. And if I didn't respond, then I took damage to my character. That was a unique thing about Eternals, Eternal for me from that standpoint that I'm like, okay, it's not just I'm going to go hit you now. I had a chance to block it and then those players that my guys that attacked then went off the battlefield. They didn't hang around. So they were forced to do battle. So it was sort of a, you know, I'm playing them, I'm getting them off. Unlike, well, say magic where they hang around, right? I haven't played magic enough. Do they still hang around, Marty? Uh, yes, they do. But you can probably match it more to maybe something like, uh, like Star Realms where you have the, the big ships that come out and they kind of stay in play you know, from round to round, but also in something like a typical deck building, like Star Realms, like you said, when I put up my guys to fight, they fight 
immediately. Star Realms or uh, even the latest game from uh, uh, Justin Gray. Uh, Shards of Infinity. Uh, yeah, Shards of Infinity. Put something out, boom. We're immediately uh, uh, attacking each other, right? Here, it's like, here's these guys. You better deal with them on your turn because at the end of your turn, they're going to hit. So at, like you said, at that point, you have a chance to respond to get out some blockers. And if you're a, the blockers attack is greater than or equal to those guys coming in, you can effectively block them. And once they do, they cancel each other out. But if I don't block your guys, then I take direct damage. But the guys that I just put out that didn't get blocked are there for you to deal with on your next turn. So that is very different than the Star Realms or Hero Realms type of games. The other aspect is you have this throne and you have these, uh, what is it called? Seek power, I believe, or yes. Seeker power. Yes. And so you can go buy these cards. And when you buy these cards, you eventually expose the throne. And when the throne is exposed, then certain things on cards get activated. Like if you banish this card, you can send out two strength to cavalry or oh look you can refresh warp tokens well what's a warp token you say these warp tokens give you the ability to pay for a card from the marketplace purchase row whatever you want to call it and immediately put them in play kind of like shards of infinity where you had that a capability Another nice aspect in this game where, oh, I'm going to buy him and immediately get him into play. And I only have two of these, so I better use these wisely. And that's another way to get somebody to help you block or maybe get ready for a big attack. Kind of like that aspect in doing the deck builder. Instead of having to wait until I can draw him again, I can immediately get him in play. I kind of like that in these games, Marty. I like these, that aspect in a deck builder. Yeah, and it's different from Shards of Infinity because once you use them, they're gone. Here it actually stays yeah. in play, uh, uh, which is nice. But the thing is that it felt so similar to Star Realms for me. That's why, like I said at the beginning of the segment, I would have guessed that Eternal came from White Wizard who did Star Realms and Sorcerer came from Renegade, but it's actually flipped. Regardless, uh, they are both really unique fi fantasy flighting fi wow fantasy flighting games we talked too much about ffg uh, earlier they're very unique fantasy fighting games with their each own mechanics and they will appeal to people differently quick deck builder come in punch each other in the face you're going to want to go eternal if you want to go a little bit more a game that takes a little bit longer uh, a little bit more to work through the combat takes a little bit more to resolve but it does have that push your luck dice rolling element then you'll want to check out Sorcerer. But Tony, I think they're both good in different ways, and I'd play either one of them then again anytime. I would play them, but do I need another deck builder in my life? Well, the beauty is, is that the Eternal game is available as a digital app on all the platforms right now. So if you don't need another deck builder, a physical deck builder in your life, you still can play that on your phone or on Steam. Yes, you're, and it's, if you like the fantasy theme, it's something for you to go to. But if you're asking me personally, I'm going to look at you and say, I've already invested all this money in Ascension. Do you think I need another game? I got Star <laughs> Realms. I don't, I don't crank up Star Realms at all. I got Shards of Infinity, but I'm always going back to Ascension. But if you don't have something that you haven't invested heavily in, like myself, then this is something you may want to consider. And again, Sorcerer is not a deck building game. It is in a totally different realm. And they have actually been releasing... New sorcerers, new lineages, new domains that you can mix and match together. And the base box has tons of storage for all these extra cards. So it's kind of in a different vein itself. I can almost see this almost like a tournament-based game. And the art in it, oh, the art in it's good. I just Which love one? the- 
of Sorcerer. I just think the dark, gritty art in that one is is really good. The Eternal's good too, but it has more of a, a lighter, brighter feel. The other one's just a really dark style of image. Which tells me which one is family friendly. Oh, Eternal, easily. Easily. Yeah. And see, I the Sorcerer art didn't really capture me. And on Eternal, the Yetis were too childish. There's the Yeti <laughs> fact. It looked it looked like a smiling little I don't know teddy bear maybe mm-hmm. okay these are now aesthetics and when you start talking about aesthetics about liking either the art or this or that then you're, you're suddenly okay now I'm splitting hairs so I enjoyed both games do I need another deck builder in my life probably not at this time but between the two which one would I go with I would I would go with eternal now between the two. I would choose Sorcerer because I like the idea. The goal is not to knock out the other person's life points to zero. Instead, it's an area control game. It reminds me very much of Warhammer 40k Conquest, which Rob really enjoyed. So fighting over control of battlefields is different enough to me. So there you go, Tony. We split. You went with Eternal on one. I went with Sorcerer. And hopefully from this, if you're interested in either one of these, you'll know which one you might want to check out. That is Sorcerer from White wizard games and eternal i almost did it and eternal you did do it you went sorcerer <laughs> sorcerer from white wizard games and eternal from renegade games we love connor and all those wonderful folks over at inside up games so when he contacted me he said marty i said connor he said look i got a game coming on kickstarter Look at the art of this thing. And so I went and checked out the art for The Quick and, un- and The Undead. I got to make sure to get the articles in there. The Quick and The Undead. I went, kind of, that's pretty cool, man. It's like a Western-themed game, but there's zombies in it. I kind of like that. I said, who, who, who designs that? He said, that'd be Daryl Andrews and Adrian Adamescu. Uh, so I like Daryl. He's a fine man. He likes baseball. I, I said, yeah, yeah, let me check that out. So he sent us a prototype of this game. Did you really use that? Because I would have hung up on you. <laughs> I would have said, what are you doing? Talk like a normal person. <laughs> I was typing yeah. it. So it wasn't really a oh, phone okay. call. It was more of messaging. But that's kind of how the conversation went into my head as I was typing it down. Oh, okay. You might want to seek therapy. <laughs> Connor said he's got this Kickstarter coming out and he'd like to send it to you. So you've got us a copy so that we can take a peruse of this Kickstarter, of this prototype. Uh, one of the few things that very seldom, you know, we don't get got other games, Kickstarter. So what, what, what did you think when you first, when this thing, boom, dropped on your doorstep? Well, uh, we, when I got it and looked at the rules, I thought this sounded kind of cool. Drop it on the table and you go, okay, okay. You know, number one, the theme is unique. Uh, you are controlling some outlaws and your goal is to go out there, maybe buy some buildings, take advantage and have some buildings. Your whole goal is to get notoriety, actually, is the goal that is in the game, uh, get some notoriety. And you play the game over the course of three rounds uh, every day. You play over the course of a day, consists of three rounds. And here's what's really neat. This is kind of like a worker placement game in that you have outlaws and you're going to take the outlaws and you're going to be putting them on the board. But you don't do it in turn order, Tony. Instead, what you do, you have a D8. Each of you are going to select which one of the numbered action spaces you want to send an outlaw to. And it could be one that where you can go and hire guns, which gets you new outlaws to use. It could be like, I want to go be able to purchase a building. Um, it could be, uh, I'm going to go try to... You don't use the D8 to hire people. You're right. 
You're right. Or you could go out there and try to intimidate others. You can loot. You Maybe you want to steal stuff from other people. You could steal money. You could steal notoriety. So there's these different action spots on the board. And you're going to select your die and then simultaneously display where you're going to send an outlaw. Now, if you're going to go do higher guns, then what you just do is you just place your die out there and you can just grab, uh, grab an outlaw and take them into your stash. But all the other places, if you and somebody else picks the same spot, well, this is a Western, Tony. You're going to have to have a shootout, right? Because you can't mm-hmm. have two outlaws in one spot. So all of a sudden, there's this twist of a simultaneous placement of workers that didn't fight it out to see who gets the ability to stay there. And what you do is over the course of the game, you uh, get bullets as resources and you have a card where you can put bullets on a card marked two through seven different spots on a body so that when you are, you're going to try to shoot somebody and you're going to roll a, a D eight. And if you have a bullet marker covering that numbered spot on the target card, then it's going to hit. So if I roll a seven and there's a bullet token on the seven spot on the marker card, boom, I made a hit. But if there's not, it's going to be a miss. So that's how a lot of the combat is done. Getting bullets, putting them on your marker card, rolling a D8 and resolving it. If you roll an eight, it's a critical hit. If it's a roll of one, it's a critical miss. And that's just part of it, Tony, because if you kill somebody, and this part's cool too, their outlaw is sent over to Boot Hill And in their place, a zombie car is put into place. All of a sudden, there's an undead walker left in its place that you now got to deal with because you have to get rid of the undead walkers in the city if you want to do things like take over buildings and make sure you score notoriety points for them at the end. So when I was first reading the rules on this and I was gathering all this information in, I did like the aspect of the fact that you're secretly placing your worker. Now, one thing about it is if you've already placed a worker in a location, you may not choose that location again because you're playing over three rounds in a, oh, well, three turns in a round or three rounds in a, whatever, however they describe it. <laughs> three turns in a day. Three turns in a day. Yeah. Fine. So you know that they're not going to go there. So you know you're safer. So really on that first turn, there's a lot of risk involved that you Mm -hmm. could have this shootout. So I don't want people to think that when you're doing this game that all of a sudden you're losing your workers, your outlaws, your hired hands, because you're right. You have to hire them back because they could possibly be getting killed off. But how are you going to win, Marty? Am I going to win scoring the most victory points? Am I going to win by having the most bullets? Nope. You win by notoriety. You collect right. notoriety no. over the course of the game, which is kind of, I guess you could say it's kind of victory points, but you get notoriety by owning buildings and you can fight over buildings. So Tony, if you own a building, I can come over there with one of my outlaws, pay the price to half the price to get that building. You and I have a shootout and I can take that building away from you. So mm-hmm. it's one of those things that has the worker placement euro we feel, but there is a lot of player interaction going on. If it's one of those things where you're going to get upset where somebody's coming after you, killing off your people and sending them to Boot Hill, well, just realize that's what's going to happen here. But what's cool is, is that's what the whole part of the higher workers, uh, higher hands, higher workers is, is you can go and recollect those people and get them back into your pool. Because once you place a worker in a building, he stays there until he runs out. And you only get to place three workers per round. So there could be some rounds where if you don't have enough workers because they were killed or in buildings, you may not get to place a worker every round. And I did like that concept about the gunfights and the battling because you said you got to roll in order to hit. 
it takes me to a thematic Western battle where someone is shooting from the hip and just rolling off the old six gun shooter, bam, 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 you know, shooting, they ain't hitting anything. They're not aiming. They're not doing anything. So that's very, believe it or not to me, that's thematic. I don't know why it just is. Because they didn't hit squat. What's cool is there's a couple of action spaces called Intimidate. And uh, you can pick one of the other numbered places where there's an outlaw there, somebody else. And you you could tell them, look, you got to pay up or you walk out. So if they pay up, they give you two resources of their choice in their stash. Or they walk out. The target gives you nothing. But that allows you to take one shot at them as they walk out. So it's like, whoa. We're cool here. And it's like, well, you kind of pissed me off. So I'm going to take one shot at you on the way out to see if I can hit you on the way out. So I don't know. There's a lot of really cool, fun mechanics built into this game. So it's, it's, it's heavily thematic. It has some Euro elements to it. There is some dice roll. So obviously there's some push your luck and some luck involved. I don't know. It, it's just a fun, cute game. The art is really good. So this is going to be coming out on a Kickstarter soon. So you're going to want to keep an eye out for the quick and the, and the undead. Make sure you get the articles in there. From Inside Up Games, Connor and his group put out some really fun games. And, and I think this is going to be a good one too. All right. So basically what Marty has just told me is Kickstarter is going to be kicking in high gear again as they get ready for their 2020 releases. We've already mentioned Portal Games, Stronghold Undead, Inside Up's got them. The Kickstarter is starting to ramp up, Gen Con, Essen, all that. Plus, you're going to have all these games from Essen. Plus, the holidays are coming up. So once again, we're all going to be cash-strapped and poor. Oh, but let's not forget about Marvel Champions that's coming out. And I'm sure there are other games that are on the horizon that we haven't even talked about yet. Oh, matter of fact, I know there are because I've seen them deliberately recently. Well, I get notices. I don't get to see them. I just know you've got a delivery to a rolling dice and taking names. I'm like, Marty, what did you get now? Well, what I'm excited about is, and our next episode is going to be in October, and you know how I love to play Halloween-themed games, and there's some new ones coming out that I can't wait to check out and talk about. Mm-hmm. And even some old ones, I can't wait to get horrified back to the table and see oh, yeah. if we can get that one, see if we can beat that stupid game. Okay, the game's not stupid. Maybe I am. So I got that going for me. I'm real excited about that. Oh, yeah. And then we've got Mega MooseCon coming up at the end of October. Got our barbecue event. You know, Mega MooseCon, if you're in the Charlotte area, around the um, Rock Hill area, down near the Columbia area. Oh, if you're in Atlanta, Georgia, or if you're in Tallahassee, Florida, or maybe you're up in Washington, D.C., or you're on, hey, if you're on the East Coast, or better yet, if there is an airport near your house, then you can get to Charlotte, North Carolina, and drive 35 minutes south, and you can attend Mega Moose Con and the swanky new hotel they got next to the convention center. Yes, I am plugging it for Mark, because Mark's our buddy. And he does a great show. And it's going to be October 25th through 27th in uh, 2019. And Tony, that's not all. There's another really cool local convention that's going to be going on at the end of September. And that is Recon. Uh, that's taking place up in uh, the northern part of North Carolina at Colonelsville. Colonels, Colonelsville. How about let's let's try Kernersville at Kerners. Wow, I can't say this at Kernersville, uh, North Carolina. This is going to be September 28th and 29th. And the cool thing about this, this is a board gaming con that is totally free. That's right. You heard it free. 
open gaming, gaming giveaways. They're going to have a gaming flea market, which I'm very interested in. They're going to have food on site. You just come in, sit down, play some games. I hope that we can get to go. Our buddy that's running uh, Mega Moose Con, Mark, says that he's going to be heading up there. We'd love to go up there with them and and check it out. Uh, this is the fifth year they've done this. I've heard some great things from it. Roy from uh, Dice Tower, uh, who used to live in North Carolina, that used to be a perennial event for him, and he said it was always a great time. So that's at Recon. You can find out more over at reconbgc.com. They also have a Facebook page, Recon. R-E-C-O-N-B-G-C if you want to find out more. So end of September, Kernersville, North Carolina. At the end of October in, what's the name of that city in South Carolina again for Mega Moose Con? Richland. We're going to be for sure at Mega Moose Con. Maybe we'll be at Recon. Regardless, you need to go to both. How about that? And just for those who are not Google Maps savvy, that's between Winston-Salem and Greensboro here, which by the way, that's very close to Lexicon. Lexicon. Good gosh, Marty, you've been talking to me too long. I'm already screwing up. Lexington, which is known for its barbecue. That's right. If you've never had North Carolina barbecue, the prime spot for North Carolina barbecue is Lexington, North Carolina. They have a big barbecue festival there every year that brings in thousands and thousands of people competing for the best barbecue. Now, I I really want some barbecue. So that means I can't wait till barbecue when our friend Steve who is a grill master himself. We'll be bringing some homemade barbecue. Hey, a lot going on, everybody. October's going to be a big month. Halloween games, Essen. Make sure to stay with us here at Rolling Dice and Taking Names as we try to cover as much as possible. And we ain't even talked about seeding our yard yet, which will be coming up soon. So maybe we can get that on the show next time, Tony. And who knows what hotel I'll be in for our next recording. If the <laughs> hurricane keeps coming, I know I'll be down in Florida. Who knows? Good Gosh, so anyway, keep rolling dice and taking names. Once again, thank you for listening to RDTN. If you want to support the show, you can go out to podpledge.com and support us there. If you want to follow us on Twitter at Dyson Names, Instagram Dyson Names, join our BGG Guild 1589 as we come up on our seventh anniversary. We always have some cool giveaways, so you want to join as many of those things as possible. Thanks again, y'all. Hey, uh, Tony, uh, people were complaining uh, in the last episode where we covered Saint Noir, what I was talking about using the Amazon device in order to, you know, ask it questions and everything. And they said we mm-hmm. kept activating it. So why don't we help them out? Tony, take it away. Hey, Alexa, order a case of moon pies for me. Holy cow, Tony, have you seen the new insert for Twilight Imperium that the Broken Token came out with? What a beast. It's a beast of a game, and you need a way to organize that beast of a game. And why not with a beast of an insert just came out from the Broken Token? If you have Twilight Imperium, the fourth edition, this is a great way to store all your your components so you can get them out of the box and onto the table quickly and quickly put them away after playing six to eight hours because after eight hours of playing a game, nobody wants to sit there and sort chits and put them back some bags and everything. You're ready to put them back in a nice organizer. So make sure to go check it out at thebrokentoken.com. 